Lord, we're ready. We pray that you will come and speak to us, that we will grow in you. We'll grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be transformed by you. We will be equipped and empowered by you to be and do what you've called us to be and do at this time on the world stage in world history. We know this is a significant time and you've called us to be significant people for your purposes in this city, in this county, and actually reaching to the entire planet. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's read this, these lyrics again in case you missed it. Great song, Let All Things Rise, or All Things Rise by Sam Yoder. I was just with his brother a few weeks ago. Neat family. Um, God, how beautiful your holy word that formed the world in such goodness. That was one of the, one of the themes that we did. The, um, two weeks ago, the topic was formed in goodness, you might remember. That formed the world in such goodness, and oh, the shame that we'd spurn it all to turn and fall into darkness the darkness of the fall, and immediately, though, is God's response. God will sing how through your Son you turned this loss and heard into glory. How when scorned in death you raised him up. His gains become the whole world's story. Jesus' story gets to be the whole world's story. If you didn't know that, that's part of the gospel message. Jesus comes and, and changes the narrative, as people say these days. He changes the story, the trajectory of human history, and what he accomplished becomes everyone's story, everyone who will. It's a remarkable concept. So let all things rise, the chorus, and bless your name, all things made right and new again. O Lord, your goodness is free and boundless. That's where we started, actually, the first week. The free and boundless goodness of God. Your goodness is free and boundless. It's reaching endless through it all. In verse 3, and on this road, with every step we take, your faithfulness is our portion. You've prepared a city bright and fair whose gates stay forever open. That's Revelation chapter 21, I believe. Maybe 22. I think it's 22, actually. The, the story of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth coming together. And verse 4 is the, where we get the theme for today. Son of God, in you we've taken up the way of love's occupation. Today we're talking about the way of love or the way of love's occupation. Oh, the joy to share in your reward, the stunning turn of new creation. And just as you promised, your son was raised up. In him we'll follow, we'll all be raised up. And then the, the last verse, just for completeness, is the end of the story, where we're all headed. Oh, Lord, you've made yourself a home, heaven and earth forever one. When Jesus returns and renews everything, we will experience this. He said, when the Son of God comes and sits on his throne at the renewal of all things, when all things will be made new. It's possible and believable because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth forever won all things once sown in weakness. That's next week's topic, sown in weakness. You raise in promise your beauty arches above it all. So love's occupation. So just start out with a thought the top of your notes there to get your thinking going, get my thinking going. There's going to be several thoughts about the way of love today. We have two fundamental needs to experience love and to express love to others. If either is missing, the other will surely be distorted. What did he just say? We have two fundamental needs as human beings to receive and express love. 
If either side of that is missing, if we're not expressing love or if we're not receiving love, the other one will get distorted. In other words, to express love healthy, well, correctly, the way God intended, we must receive God's love. Or we won't be able to. If we don't receive God's love, our expression of love will be distorted. You get it? You need both. We're talking about the way of love's occupation. So, just to start with, it means we must be those who, like Takashi said, are receiving God's love, and, oh, and also like Steve said, man receiving God's love tangibly in his hand as he's walking, saying to Jesus, I'm coming to you, responding to Jesus' um, invitation, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. We must be recipients of God's love and expressors of God's love. Where are you in that process? Got to have them both flowing. All the time. Daily. And um, like all truths, all truths line up with the truth that Jesus expresses to us. What did Jesus say are the two most important commandments on which all other commandments rest? What's the first one? Love God. That's the short version. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa, what did I just knock out? My water. Be careful where you sit. Um, look at the next note that I put it in your notes for you. Love is always fulfilled in two-way relationship. We are loved by God, and we love God. We love our neighbor, and here's a change that you might not have thought of. And we allow ourselves to be loved by our neighbor. which of course is vulnerable. Actually, that's not written in your notes, so that's why you're not finding that. You have to write it down. Listen again. It's two-way. Love is two-way. We're loved by God and we love Him. We love our neighbor and the rather uncomfortable surprise, we're loved by our neighbor. That's why, if you're going to follow Jesus, any followers of Jesus in here? Okay. I'm talking to you. That's why you are called to be not just a lover of Jesus, but you are called to be part of his body, the church. Because in order to love your neighbor completely, you have to also be loved by your neighbor. And that's done in the context of those who are following Jesus and learning to love one another. You see the scripture that's, I think in your notes, 1 John 4. Look at verse 12 in there. And we'll come back and read it more fully. But just highlight verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, both ways, love one another means I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. Is that Barney? <laughs> Who knew that Barney was quoting the Bible? <laughs> no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love is in us and his love is made Complete in us. Interesting. We are to love one another. We are to love God. 
We are to be loved by God, and we are to be loved by one another. And I, I felt that, that came out to me um, as I was restudying and thinking and praying this morning. So I didn't have time to get it to you, Matt, for the notes on the screen yesterday. Let's read, um, wait a minute, how are you guys doing? You, you good with this? You're, you're all connected here, okay. Are, is your brain thinking, I, I don't want to be loved by someone? You ever think that when you love someone, you are in control? You get to decide, you get to decide to do good things. But when you allow yourself to be loved, you stop being in control. Something changes, and that's probably easy with your spouse. It's not quite so easy with your neighbor, because you can't trust them, right? Some of you got trust issues, and you got trust issues just because people broke trust. So you don't trust people. And now I'm telling you, you're supposed to get yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable and someone may stab you in the back. But that's God's design. And in the body of Christ, when we hurt each other, we forgive each other and we work through stuff. And as a result, we become more like Christ. And the word of God says in this way, God's love is made complete in you. Interesting. Okay, let's read this big passage. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Dang, why'd they have to write that in the Bible? I could, you know, if you have a black Sharpie right now, you could highlight that right out. <laughs> if you don't like that one. <laughs> Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Wow. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I think I'll read that again. This is how God showed his love among us. I thought I was going to say, this is how God showed his love. He sent Jesus and he died for us. But it didn't stop there. So look at that again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world in order that we might live through him. Oh, I bet if I live through God or through Jesus, I bet there's going to be some love involved. I bet I'm going to receive his love and I'm going to express his love. This is love, not that we loved God. Oh, we're not in the driver's seat here. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Do you know that word, atoning sacrifice? Not really. Okay. Atoning is such an interesting word. Every time I've tried to research this word, it was, it was a word apparently that had to be made up in order to express a reality that was unknown before this. In English, it's a fun word, because I think it's a made-up word in English as well. As if I understand, if I'm wrong, forgive me, you, um, <laughs> people, you lexicon people. I'm pretty sure this is the case. It literally means at one mint. 
says atonement, it literally means at one mint. To make two things that were not together into one. God's sacrifice is an at one mint. God's atoning sacrifice is that which he did to make us one with him and with each other. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but we love, if we love one another, God's love, God's lives in us, I'm sorry, and his love is made complete in us. I read it four times, so I think even though I mumbled that one, you got it, right? Can we go on? Verse 13. We know that we live in him and he, in he and us because he's given us his spirit, and we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, in God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, says the same thing again, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in the world we're like him. In other words, as we're living in God and we're experiencing his love in us and through us and his love is made complete in us, we have confidence before God because we're living like Jesus. So we know on the day of judgment we'll be able to say, wow, God has changed me. I've put my faith in Jesus and he actually has changed me from the inside out. I'm starting to act like him because I literally have love for people that I never would have had love if it weren't for God living in me. Has anyone had that happen? That's your future. If you haven't had it happen, press into it. Where was I? Verse 18, right? There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love yet. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And he's given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, that was good. That was John preaching the gospel. Thank you, John. It's easy to preach when you just read the Bible, huh? So here's another thought that's not in your notes. I want to quote from the guy I've recommended to you a lot named Dallas Willard. He is not alive anymore. He was the director of the Department of Philosophy at the University of Southern California and a strong Christian and theologian. Um, and he died just a few years ago, so his writings are still available to you. He says this by definition for love. Would you like a definition for love to help you in this talk? Okay, Love means will to good. Will as in your choices, your volition, your will. I wish this would happen. I desire it. I'm going to make it happen. Your ability to make something that you desire happen. It's to will to good. Willing the benefit of the one who is loved. We may say we love chocolate cake, but we don't. Rather, we want to eat it. That's desire. Listen, that's desire, not love. In our culture, we have a great problem distinguishing between love and desire. But it's essential that we do so. New Testament Greek has several words for love. There's eros, like romantic love, but there's agape that it introduced, which is perhaps the greatest contribution that... Christ made to human civilization. Agape wills the good of whatever it is directed upon. It does not wish to consume it. Um, when 
I was a young father many years ago. I had more hair and less gray on my face. Um, my daughter, when she was, I think, seven months old, um, we took her to see Grandma and Grandpa in Florida for Christmas. That's a young baby to take on the flight, isn't it? Well, she kept getting ear infections. What is it with babies and ear infections? And she, while we were there, got a really bad one. And I, rem I remember to this day, she was the light of my life. My gosh, I could not take my eyes off my daughter. Boy, did I love her. I still do. And I think God makes parents um, amazingly able to love something that, that does nothing to earn love. I mean, they, they make a lot of noise and they make a lot of mess, right? And you clean them up and you love them and you sacrifice for them and you provide for them. And somehow out of nowhere, you, the moment, in my case at least, the moment she's born and I'm holding her, I'm in love with this kind of messy looking person who I've never seen before. And in a second, I'm absolutely enraptured in love, right? Dads, you know this, I think. I hope you know it. So she's having trouble breathing with this infection. And especially if she'd lie down flat, it's kind of hard to breathe. So I remember it well, saying, I can't have this. I've got to hold her in kind of an upright position so that things are draining and she can breathe better. Can you picture that? So I remember getting in a reclining chair and holding her on my chest all night long so that she could breathe and not even feeling like I was burdened, absolutely enjoying it, losing sleep while she just slept and, you know, <laughs> barely breathed. But she's breathing and I'm not worried about her. Can you picture that? Why would I do that? Because I love her, because I desire her good. I think that's a, a workable picture of love. Here's, here's some thoughts. Keep that in mind as I read some thoughts here. When we say we love uh, things or people, we, we are saying that we recognize their value. Right? Uh, when we don't love people, we're, we're not recognizing their value. And vice versa. When we don't value people, we're not loving them. When we're not loving them, we're not recognizing their value. Does that make sense? And here's putting it together. When we truly know God's love in our lives, we discover the inherent value of all people simply because they're made in God's image and they are loved by God. If you have trouble loving people that are not very lovely in your business of doing holy hellos, walking around this place called planet Earth, interacting with your boss that might not be very loving, interacting with a person you meet on the street who doesn't smell quite right, and it's hard to love. If you know God's love for you, you recognize that that person is valuable to God. And if you'll step back and consider the value, and maybe even consider the picture I just told you of a dad holding his daughter on his chest, you'll realize that that person, whoever that person is, is just as valuable as that daughter to God. In fact, 
This helps me. When I meet someone who's so messed up that I, I'm not sure what, how to relate to him, I often think that person was once a little baby born, by, born to a mother. I wonder what happened in their life that got them to this point. Because they were once a precious little child. Every single person. And they ought to be loved. And probably if they're really unlovable now, probably they didn't get a lot of love somewhere along the line. Probably something went very wrong. And when I think that way, something awakens in me of mercy and compassion and even love for them. God himself is love. This is a quote from the guy that wrote the, the booklet that I didn't give you because of the technology difficulty. They kind of put together this talk, some of the, just the broad idea of doing a talk from this song. He writes, Adam Russell, God himself is love, as we read in 1 John 4, 8, and this loving God is also a creator. So everything he created is both a result of his love and somehow made to know his affection. This is the grain of the universe. And every idea or philosophy that starts from another place is bound to experience the painful splinters of running counter to the flow of God's created order. You'll often hear me say, if you rub your hand against the grain of the universe, you're going to get splinters. In other words, that's what he's saying. If we work in harmony with the way God made things, things go better. That's why knowing the Word of God and simply obeying what it says, even when you don't understand it, works because you trust that the God who made the universe knows how things work. He's describing how things work and how we ought to live in His universe so we don't get big splinters by running against the grain of the universe that He created. So obey it. That's why Jesus said, you're really smart if you hear my words and obey them. And you're really not smart if you hear my words and don't obey them. And if you think, well, I must decide that I know why he said those things before I'll obey him, you're really not smart. Or you really don't trust him. If you'll know him, you'll trust him, and you'll be able to obey him. Just a thought. So here's another thought for you. It's all just kind of thoughts about the way of love. Until we receive and live in the love of God, it's difficult, if not impossible, to receive love from other people. That's what I was talking about at the beginning, the loving and receiving love. If you have not had your heart healed by God's love, you will tend to doubt, to misunderstand, to mistrust the love of other people. Let that sink in for a bit. You'll distrust their sincerity until your heart has been healed by God's love. This is really important. This will help you in two ways. One, if you've ever tried to show love to someone and they just couldn't receive it, they just didn't trust you, they just thought you must have an ulterior motive, have you had that happen? You think I've, you might have had it happen with your child. You, you love them, You're so con- you want to do good, and they distort it and don't trust you. They don't think you're sincere. They think you're trying to, you know, what's, 
When's the other shoe going to fall? They're wondering. What, what do you got? What do you need? You try to show love, what do you need? You ever try to give something to someone and they, okay, where's the strings attached? What do you want? Because their heart hasn't been healed by God's love. But that may also be you. This is the other direction of that. If you have trouble when people try to show you love, you may need to go back to the beginning and go to God. And simply the awareness of that need is powerful. You can take the awareness of your need to God and say, God, help me, something's wrong inside of me. I thought I had it all together, and I don't. Would you heal me? Would you touch me? Would you come in and bring healing? Another thought to help us understand the way of love's occupation. Contrasting the way of love with the way of guilt. So love's occupation is an overflow of God's love in us that recognizes the value in others and does good for them as a natural response. But doing good things from guilt is an attempt to fill up the emptiness that I feel from my own shame. I feel shameful, so I'm going to try to do good stuff to you, call it love, but be motivated by my guilt. Some of you have probably done that. It doesn't fill the hole. It makes it worse and distorts everything. Because guilt and shame are only washed away when we receive the love of Jesus. If you've got shame in your life, the only place you can get that taken care of, the only bleach that cleans that stain, (laughs) is the blood of Jesus and relationship with Jesus. The blood of Jesus means his act of giving up his life for me and you. You might preach that to someone else, too. You may have had someone knock on your door. And you go to the door and you look at the people. And, oh, no, it's the two guys in the white shirts with a bike and a black tag that says elder. And they look like they're 19. And they're here to talk to you about God and the book. You know what I'm talking about? If... You get into a conversation, and if they'll be honest with you and you ask, why are you here? They will tell you, if they're honest, I need to do this to get into heaven. I'm doing what's required of those who want to follow God. So they might, though, have another fervently try to do the religious thing. They want to talk about God in the book. But if you ask them, why are you here? They're liable to say, oh my gosh, I met Jesus, and he changed everything. And he loves me like I've never been loved, and I've learned to love him, and my life has been changed. They might have a big story of rescue from disaster. They might not. All they know is, I love God, and I've got to share his love with other people. Same same kind of look, doing the same kind of thing, way different motivation. Religion versus the way of love. We're talking about the way of love's occupation. God and you, we've taken up the way of love's occupation. Some of you do. There's a movie in theaters right now that's put out by Pure Flix, and it's the true story of a woman named Abby Johnson who was the youngest director of a Planned Parenthood clinic, and she was way into thinking that she was serving women. Good heart. She eventually, she was a director, helped thousands of women get abortions. She eventually, though, participated in an abortion with an ultrasound 
and found out that she'd been fed a lie the whole time. And she saw that she was murdering a baby. And she became a strong proponent of, of life. And so they, her, her story's in, intense, and they made a movie of it called Unplanned, right? And it's in theaters, Unplanned. Did I say Unplugged before? No wonder you're confused. I misspoke. Forgive me. Unplanned. It's in theaters right now. It's rated R because of the intensity of the abortion procedure. But she was interviewed on ABC, and she said something that's related to what I'm talking about. So I wanted to quote that to you. She said, as a person of faith, we are, she said this on ABC, and this is actually in an ABC News article. As a person of faith, we are given an opportunity every single day to wake up with the gift of redemption. And to me, redemption means newness. You have an opportunity to live in a new relationship with Christ, to live with the new mended heart in Christ. That's what he wants out of us. What does God want out of me? To live in a new mended relationship with Jesus. Not to live in our past in a place where we can't change, but to live right here in the now and the present with him and to see the present as the gift that truly is. We all got stuff, she said. She had stuff and God rescued her. Isn't that interesting? So again, not religion, but, but love. Okay, the joy of love's occupation. Now taking that, that phrase we've been working from. Son of God and you, we've taken up the way of love's occupation. Oh, the joy to share in your reward the stunning turn of new creation. This is, this is where the preacher starts wrapping it up. So you're thinking, oh, can't wait to get to the donuts. <laughs> I want to read to you from Ephesians. And I want to read it to you to remind us of God's love for us and the love he wants to invite us into, not only experiencing, but expressing. Okay? So here's in the message translation. And boy, this should sound like your life. There used to be a television show called This Was Your Life, right? It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. People are going, oh me, oh my, that was me. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us, doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus Christ, our Messiah. I think the message of the joy of sharing in Christ's reward, the stunning turn of new creation, is fulfilling that very thing we just read. Here's how I put it in your notes. Maybe I'll say it better. The joy of sharing in Christ's reward is the joy of participating with God in the life of another sin-dead person being made alive in Christ. This is the way of love's occupation. Remember our Easter mission we were talking about as we approach Easter? We're making disciples by getting into contact with people who may need to know Jesus. Letting our hearts be filled with love for them responding to their needs, and as conversation goes, 
watching for the moment, pregnant with the presence of God, where God uses me to touch them with Jesus. And I get to share in love's occupation. The holy hello is love's occupation. If you don't know what I'm talking about, by Alan Scott up at the Anaheim Vineyard, um, where we, we say, just say hello to someone, and we're anticipating that God's going to be present in the hello, and it's going to go more than just hello. You know, and, and if you have eyes full of love, it gets even better. So let me just share some practical steps in cultivating mercy and love in your heart for others. Start by experiencing God's love in your life. And that sounds like a whole other sermon. Well, how do you do that? Press into knowing God's love. It's what Steve described he did. Jesus says, come on to me. Come on to Jesus. Approach him. Maybe quietly before him. And receive his love. Two, this is what I mentioned before, try to get a picture of how God sees someone. If you have trouble loving people from your heart, try to get a picture of how God sees them. How? Ask God, give me a picture of how you see that person. He might just give you a picture of how he sees that person. Pray for an overflow of mercy and love in your heart in general. This could be a daily prayer. You wake up, good morning, God. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, would you cause an overflow of your love and mercy to come out of my heart today? That's a prayer he might just answer. You're interacting with someone and do what I said I did with my daughter. Think of someone that you highly value and love and remind yourself that the person in front of you for whom you're trying to cultivate mercy and love is just as valuable to God as that person you just pictured that you value and love. That was a lot of words, but did you follow it? You did. You did. Why didn't you say it again? Think of some... I'm, okay. I walk up to Mark and I go, Mark, he's not very loving. Very love, I just, oh, God, help me. I want to love this guy, but look at him. Right? And then I stop and go, I think of my daughter that I held and how much I loved her and how much I valued her. And I think, oh, that's what I know. Mark is to you. Give me that mindset for him. As I now go talk to him. That's what I tried to say. Oh, Choose to do loving things. Did you know you can point your heart toward love by doing loving things before you feel like it? And your heart will catch up. You know you can do that with money, by the way. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want your heart to be somewhere? Give money to it. You'll start following it with your heart. (laughs) I should have said this first. Watch this. Watch this. You might not have known this truth. Are you ready? This is a big truth coming up. On a screen near you in Oceanside, a big truth is you can love people that don't seem very lovable. You can do that. You can do that. If you didn't know that, you can do that. God will help you. Just like what we read in Ephesians 2. Hey, I think the preacher's almost done with a blessing from Paul to his friends the church of Thessalonica. Would you stand up? 
And let me read this over you. You are the army of God, an army of love. You're not the audience of God. You're the army of God. Meant to be like Jesus in character and in power. Brought to that place by the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you've come to Christ. Lord, I pray this for me and my family. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And that he loved. And he said, just as I love you, may your love overflow for each other and for everyone else. And Jesus could say, just as I have loved you, now by my power, may your love overflow for each other and everyone else. Lord, we love you. We want to love you more. Lord, we're loved by you, and we want to receive your love more. Lord, we love each other, and we want to love each other more. Lord, we love each other, and we want to live in each other's love more. You have sent us because we love each other. Let the unity of spirit and heart and mind and love be your portion in us and through us as we go day by day on your mission of love for this planet until the things we've been singing about come to pass that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father until the day that Jesus returns and makes all things new. We especially remember at this time of the year. Thank you for your atoning sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross. We receive it anew today. We receive the work of the very blood, the lifeblood of Jesus poured out for us. Let us walk in the power of that blood that changed us, that made us at one with you and each other, to the glory of our Father.